She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. America proudly welcomes millions of lawful immigrants who enrich our society and contribute to our nation. But all Americans are hurt by uncontrolled illegal migration. Whether it's one, whether it's four, whether it's 14 or 4,000, one terrorist coming into our country in uh, a legal fashion to do us harm is one too many. And we have to take every step possible to prevent that from happening. He is standing strong for the American public, but more importantly, he's the one person in the room that's trying to find compromise where the Democrats will not move at all. We don't govern by temper tantrum. No president should pound the table and demand he gets his way or else the government shuts down. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Democrats have developed this new partisan allergy to the subject of border security. They're even prolonging a partial government shutdown just to avoid getting more of what they themselves have voted for in the past. And now, Stacey Washington. Wow. Welcome back to the program. I hope you have been enjoying today's show. I think it's been pretty good myself if I do actually toot my own little AFR slash Urban Family Talk horn. (laughs) And I'm so glad that we are slamming and jamming through the show today. So we have another great guest for you this hour. We're going to be speaking with Paris Denard. He's a political commentator, GOP strategist, and friend of mine. I can't wait to hear his reactions to the president's speech last night. Now, I went ahead and printed out the transcript. You know, I'm on the White House press mailing list, and they immediately shot a a transcript of his remarks out. And um, I actually, so here was the situation last night. I knew this was coming up, and I'd even considered, like, you know, sometimes when there were debates, a girlfriend would invite some of us over, and we'd sit and eat, you know, uh, tortilla chips and guacamole and watch the debates and each presidential debate, you know, so every four years we would do that. And I considered doing something similar, like inviting a few gals over and just watching it from there. But then I realized that our daughter had a basketball game last night. And so we went to that because it was at her school. So it was really quick and easy for us. And then afterwards, the varsity girls played. And so we, we were watching them and it was a really tough game. Like they played this public school where the girls were like literally, Shaquille O'Neal um, and a couple of those others. I don't know the professional ones' names uh, as well. And so we were watching the game. I mean, it was it was back and forth, and it was pretty close within ten points most of the time. And we were just watching that. And by the time we got finished, because we had intended on staying for the first two, the first half basically, first two quarters, we ended up staying through the whole thing. And our team lost, but they had a really great showing. They played well. And so on the way home, I was like, oh, my goodness, it's it's 820. <laughs> so I've, I think I've missed the president's address. So I immediately went to my email. I, I skimmed the transcript. And then I went through and found the video, which um, it, it's everywhere. And then I watched the video. And it was surprisingly short. I thought he was going to be up there for like an hour. But again, this is not a rally speech where the president has been known to wax poetic for an hour and 20 minutes. Um, while everyone's on their feet the whole time and sometimes in freezing weather, that man can really give a speech. But this was something different. This was a communication effort with the American people. And the media knew it. And they knew that the facts surrounding unlawful migrants coming into this country are so dastardly. And they paint such a horrifying picture that if he were to describe it accurately, there's no argument they can present that doesn't support 
a wall. They can't sound sensible rebutting the information that is the truth about what's happening at the border. So what they did was they, they, I literally, the video I watched was from Newsy, you know, that website. And it's a hardcore left website. I remember when it was just used to be fun. All the stuff on there was kind of funny and it was stuff that kind of get you away from politics. And now it's all politics all the time, hardcore leftist orientation. And so I watched the video from them and uh, I was watching the president, but every now and again, they'd put a block of text up, fact check, it, uh, you know, unlawful or uh, undocumented immigrants are the most law-abiding segment of our society. And that is when, just in that moment, I thought, how can you be the most law-abiding when you've broken the law to get here? How, I mean, how many laws do you have to break before you're unlaw-abiding? Like, uh, it's, what are they talking about? So they did that periodically throughout the speech. And I found that to be, you know, it's dirty pool, right? It's, it's one thing to say, you know what, I'm going to beat you on the ideas. And that's what Republicans usually say. And unfortunately, the lawlessness and the uh, apathy towards good, honest truth has become so strong and pungent in this country that we actually don't have just two political parties who are saying, you know what, I'll beat you on the issues. Give me, let's do this. Get, let's get it on. No, no, they're not like, right. It's like a WWE fight. And, and if you're a wrestling fan, I'm sorry, but we all know that it's acting and it's staged. And so very little of what you see isn't choreographed. Only in this case, they're choreographing it so they never lose, but they can't use the facts for that. So they have to lie. So I'm going to give you some highlights from this speech, things that I thought were super important. And this is from the president of the United States. And I can tell you if he were really as uh, dishonest and self-seeking as the media wants you to think, why wouldn't he just say, you know what, the Democrats are right because I, I want to be reelected. So I'm going to give up on this issue and I'm going to make friends with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. They're running the House of Representatives and I'm going to do what I can to salvage the remaining two years of my presidency. And I'm also going to fix it so that, you know, I may have fewer Republicans like while Republicans won't vote for me, but a bunch of Democrats will because they're about to like me a lot. I'm about to do a Bill Clinton attack to the middle. Isn't that what someone who was completely self-serving would do? Yes, because that's what Bill Clinton did. Am I right? I mean, somebody help me if I'm not right. Bill Clinton saw the handwriting on the wall. Newt Gingrich had blood, on nothing but blood, Bill Clinton's blood on his mind. He was going to take him down. And what he said was, I got a legacy because that's what Bill Clinton has always been about. What will the history books say about me? What will I be able to show for my presidency? So he got together with those Republicans and, and you know, this was before doing that would end your career. And he said, I'm getting reelected no matter what. I'm also having an affair. So I really I need more personal time so that I can do the things that I want to be doing instead of dealing with these, you know, a group of men who dislike me. I'm not going to spend all my time with them. So he listened to Newt Gingrich and ushered in an economic prosperity that could, only could have happened if he allowed the Republicans to unleash the economy and do some of the things that they were able to do. He also worked with the black community on the crime bill. The black community came up with the standards and everything that we saw in the crime bill, the same crime bill that everyone is saying now Bill Clinton was a racist for doing it. But at the time, he consulted with black community leaders and people in cities where the crime rate was like 43 percent and people were literally watching their kids get gunned down in the street by gang members. And he said, what do you want me to do? And they were like, lock them up and don't let them out, throw away the key. And so he did. And I don't think that the impeachment was the only reason he won re-election. I think he was re-elected because people liked him and they didn't really think the Republicans had the right to impeach him over something that was a private matter. And he sailed right back in there. 
if Donald Trump was really concerned more about 2020, if he was really as self-serving as they say, then that's what he would do. The reason he's not going to do that is because he knows what's going on at the southern border is the end of America. He's read the book by Ann Coulter, Adios America. He understands the numbers, and he's getting all of the briefings. He's getting the stuff that I'm not going to get the White House press list. They're not going to send me all the dirty details for the briefings that he gets. I don't have the clearance. They're not going to tell me everything that he knows. And you know me. I like to know stuff. I would love to know. But there's no way I'm ever going to get to know it all. But I do trust that if it were something minor, if this were just a whim, if it was really only about him getting reelected in 2020, we would be seeing different behavior from this man. He's the right tool for the right job. And he's not letting up on this because it is so important. And I do think it helps that Ann Coulter's out there beating the drum. She's, she's like not acting like a fan. And those of us in radio, uh, you know, especially here on AFR, we're, we're very clear that, yes, we support the president, but we're not supporting any amnesty or anything that he would do that would uh, basically give up on this, this policy aim. We've already seen the failure of the repeal and replace of, or repeal of Obamacare. I never really wanted a replacement. And we can't have that same kind of behavior here on the wall. It's what he ran on. If he can't get this done, we did not elect the right guy. Yeah, I said it. So here are the highlights that I pulled out from last night. And then we're going to go to this audio. Marco Rubio actually, and this is the Gang of Eight guy. Remember Marco Rubio? Marco Rubio was for amnesty before any of the rest of us. <laughs> um, you know, we were all like, what did you, what did he say? That's why he didn't do well in the primaries because of his Gang of Eight proposal. He says DACA should not be a part of the deal to get the border wall funding and tells why. So listen to that in just a second. So quoting President Trump, in the last two years, ICE officers made 266,000 arrests of aliens with criminal records, including those charged or convicted of 100,000 assaults, 30,000 sex crimes, and 4,000 violent killings. Those numbers are fresher than what I've been talking about. Remember here on the show, if you're just tuning in, welcome. Thank you for being here. You're at home on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I was talking about the 2017 arrests of 127,000 illegal aliens and the crimes that they did. It was only 1,800 homicides that they did. The president says 266,000 arrests in the last two years. Oh, it includes these numbers. 100,000 assaults as opposed to, what do I have here on assaults? 48,000. Wow. 30,000 sex crimes. I have 5,000 sexual assaults. And 4,000 violent killings, that 1,800 on here for 2017. So these dastardly illegal aliens, the criminal ones, have been busy killing, raping, kidnapping, and assaulting Americans. He calls it, uh, over the years, thousands of Americans have been brutally killed by those who illegally enter our country, and thousands more lives will be lost if we don't act right now. This is a humanitarian crisis, a crisis of the heart, a crisis of the soul. Last month, 20,000 children were illegally brought into the United States, which is a dramatic increase. Now, I'm skipping ahead. I'm not reading the whole speech, and I didn't clip any audio from it because you really have to listen to it yourself. But I want to make these points, and I want to get to Marco, Marco Rubio's audio, and we're going to run out of time if I keep on going like this. Um, the border wall would very quickly pay for itself. The cost of illegal drugs exceeds $500 billion a year, vastly more than the $5.7 billion we have requested from Congress, which represents 0.11% of the total federal budget. So it's not like we don't have the money. Now, let's listen to Marco Rubio. We won't have time for both of these, I don't think. Actually, we might. Let's get to it. Number two. 
Look, no matter what someone believes about whether we should give amnesty to people that have been here a long time or not, uh, whether you should deport everybody, the one thing we should all agree on is that every country in the world has a system by which they monitor, control who comes in, when they come in, and how they come in, and the United States should be no different. Every other nation on earth does that. Mexico does it, Guatemala does it, Canada does it, and America should do it. And we have a problem on the southern border of not just people being trafficked, but drugs, almost all, all this heroin that's finding itself in the street, the fentanyl that's being shipped in from China, a lot of that is coming across that border. So even if we didn't have an immigration problem, you have a rationale for limiting how people but can come he, in and what know, can come into that border. Now, he's talking to Mark, Martha McCallum over at Fox News, and she was kind of interrupting him there because um, she had some questions about, you know, basically playing devil's advocate with some of the information that the Democrats keep putting out. And Marco Rubio came back with a, an answer on why it's so important to just forget about all this negotiating. This is their job. It's their mandate. It's what they're required to do by the Constitution. It's number three. Yeah, look, all that kind of outrageous talk has become par for the course in today's politics. It makes you famous and it gets you noticed. I'm here to make a difference and to pass laws and to do serious stuff. And the bottom line is that no matter who the president of the United States is, whether you like them or not, one of the fundamental obligations of the federal government is to enforce our immigration laws. In essence, what they are, people that oppose this are basically saying, yes, we, we want to have immigration laws, but we don't want you to enforce them. And I think that's the question is, what are you in favor of? What enforcement measures are you in favor of? Because the biggest threat to legal immigration is illegal immigration. It has turned immigration, which is something that we are a nation of immigrants, into a controversial topic. Because we still welcome one and a half, 1.2 million people every single year into this country legally. But they're saying anyone who comes here should be able to stay here or we should just look the other way. I know they give lip service to border security and enforce the law, but they know in practical terms what they're advocating is that anyone who comes here gets to stay here. That, how's that good for anyone? It's certainly not good for us. And, it, and it's lending itself to this trafficking network that's trafficking in human beings. But again, beyond immigration, drugs are crossing that border every day. And, and guns are going back I, the other way into Mexico. That's why there's got to be more control there. And that's too many. Remember, I, I'll keep talking about it. Um, one survey showed here in the state of Missouri, 68% of Missourians want to see less legal immigration. We thought 1 million was too much. Now we're at 1.2 million lawful entrants. That's too many too fast. We have to assimilate these people so they're Americans. We don't want Sudanese Americans. We don't want Iraqi Americans. We want Americans, plain and simple. How many languages do we need to speak that in before our representatives get that? Be back with more in a minute. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your health care. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 
1-800-242-8345. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. If you've ever taken a social science class, you've probably heard about the law of unintended consequences. Sometimes a policy generates unexpected benefits, but it is usually also producing unexpected problems and even perverse incentives. Although this reality usually develops because of government programs, it also surfaces within companies and corporations. Last year, Starbucks announced that anyone has the right to use a Starbucks restroom. The company did this because two African-American men were denied access to a Starbucks restroom in Philadelphia and subsequently arrested. Reeling from this infamous incident, the company announced that everyone is a customer of Starbucks and thus free to use their restrooms. This change policy may not have affected the Starbucks near you, but it has had a decidedly negative impact on Starbucks located in cities with lots of homeless people. The New York Post found in a survey of just a few Starbucks that a half a dozen toilets were locked or barricaded because they needed extensive cleaning. I don't want to gross you out with what happens in these Starbucks restrooms, so let me just simply say they need cleaning because of extreme soiling and other problems resulted from incontinent vagrants. One Starbucks employee who wisely decided to remain anonymous lamented that the company policy was hurting everyone. He observed letting everyone in has resulted in nobody getting in. Like I said, this may not be a problem for your local Starbucks, assuming you live in the suburbs, but it has become a major problem for Starbucks in certain urban areas. Sadly, the Starbucks policy is hurting its brand image of an upscale coffee bistro when it has restrooms that look and smell like the restrooms of a homeless shelter. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here at home on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I am really excited to speak to our next guest, good friend of mine, Paris Denard, political commentator and GOP strategist extraordinaire. Paris, tell me what your reactions are to what we heard last night from POTUS. Uh, Stacey, thank you for having me on. Let me just tell you this. What we heard from our president last night was a tremendous opportunity for the American people to hear just in nine minutes clarity, conviction, facts, and data about why there is a national security, humanitarian, and illegal immigration crisis on our southern border. Mm. The president laid it out there. He talked about the economic impact, especially on African Americans and Hispanic Americans, based upon the jobs that are lost and, and things like that. This president did something that needed to be done. He set the stage for what we saw today. <laughs> and what we saw today was more obstruction, more games, more inaction, more partisanship from the Democrats. There, and so the president did an excellent job at letting the American people know exactly why he feels this is a crisis, one, and two, exactly what he's willing to do and what he's already compromised on. He went through a, co- a concrete wall to a steel barrier, because that's what they asked for and what they wanted, in addition to several other things that he's already uh, agreed to that makes sense. But they're Hmm. unwilling to even acknowledge that there's a crisis. It's shameful. 
It is shameful. And I think one of the things, because I've, I've read the transcript through a couple times, and what I noticed about it is, first of all, you, you pointed out, Paris, that it was eight minutes long. I was expecting a much longer address. Second of all, that he really laid out the case without, without it being you know too rough for regular network TV. He laid out the case about what's happening at the border, but also what's happening in the interior of the country. And so if you live in, an, in a state where there's not a lot of illegal immigration, you don't have any sanctuary cities, you're, you're, there are illegal immigrants there, but you're not seeing their impact as starkly as some other areas where you can literally count how much crime there is. And a percentage of that, a significant portion, is from illegal aliens who are a part of MS-13 or some of the, the drug smuggling operations. And they're killing people. They're raping people. They're kidnapping people. And he talked about that. And I, I, I almost wish he would have done more to, you know, kind of outline a little bit more. But in eight minutes, he allotted some time to each of the subjects. And I thought it went pretty well. Well, I think we have to remember the networks, for whatever reason, were even scoffing at even airing the president's uh, primetime address. And what he does know, remember, President Trump is a master of television. He understands people. He understands television. He understands ratings. He understands communication better than probably any other president we've seen since Ronald Reagan. And so what he was able to do is say, you know what? I need to give the American people something under 10 minutes. I need to keep their attention. I don't want to lose them. And something that can be easily put on Twitter, Instagram, replayed, and they can get it within eight to, eight to nine minutes. It was a smart thing to do to keep it concise. But in that time frame, he was able to talk about some key points that you mentioned, the scourge of human trafficking, which I call, and I know you call, modern-day slavery. Mm. Talked about that and talked about the fact that there are 90% of the heroin coming to this country comes to the Mexican border. In addition to that, 300 people die every day from that. People know people who are affected by drugs. People know people who are affected by all of these things that the president is talking about, and it was important for him to lay that out. And I'm glad that he did it. And then you saw that in the response, no solution, no option, no negotiation, no deal. It was mock-worthy. Good night for the It was actually, a lot of liberals mocked the response, which I think they probably would have done better not to respond at all, just to be silent, because the, the, their rebuttal made them seem childish and unaware of what just went on before they went on. Well, it, it, but it, it is exactly what they're doing in the negotiations. Look, I had the great fortune of meeting with the president the day before, the evening before the address. The president, the vice president, secretary of the uh, Department of Homeland Security, mm. Jared Kushner. And they made it very clear about how serious they take this crisis, what they're willing to do, and why they take it so seriously. Mm. And they laid out the facts and the data and showed us where there were room for compromise and things that they were willing to do. One of them is the concrete wall going to a steel barrier. Mm. And so, so when I saw the president do that last night, and then when I saw what happened today, I, I'm just, I am just, if I were a Democrat, I'd be appalled by the actions of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, because they're doing the people, the American people who may represent a disservice, especially those government workers that they claim to be so concerned about that are furloughed. They don't care about them. This is a political game to them. This is showmanship. This is not principled. This is deplorable. 
So let's talk a little bit about the way forward. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that you've actually had the opportunity to sit with the president and the vice president and Mr. Kushner and, and others at the White House, because it adds a little perspective to what you're saying about what we saw last night. But it also means that you're privy to, like, obviously, the next announced event that the president has that's a major event is he's going to go down to the border. And there were some comments last night. Well, he sidestepped announcing a national emergency. I personally felt, Paris, that he would not announce a national emergency from the Oval Office. He would rather make the case and see what the Democrats would do in response and then travel to the border and then possibly, there's no guarantee he's going to do that, make an announcement there about moving forward. I don't think the Democrats are going to move an inch. What do you see his next steps as being um, from what you can share? From what I can see is that the president is making, this is sort of like the closing, last night was the closing argument. Mm. You know, if if there's a trial to be had, last night was his closing argument. And we we saw, we heard from him, from the defense, and we heard from the the prosecution. The president is making the case that, one, there's a crisis. He's showing us with the data and the facts. And then through all of these negotiations through Christmas, him staying home, not doing Christmas with his family in Florida or New mm-hmm. Year's like he normally does, and through all of the holidays and, and, and then putting together a negotiating team on both sides of the aisle and working even through the weekend and having the team go to Camp David and doing all these things to get it going to the Hill multiple times and then having them come to the White House today. And then, Stacey, today, after the meeting, when and Kevin McCarthy, he said, President Trump turned to the speaker and, and politely asked her, okay, Nancy, if we open the government up in 30 days, could we have border security? She raised her hand and said, no, not at all. The mm-hmm. president is making the case and laying the ground game. And then obviously the president walked out of the meeting and said, you're wasting time, mm-hmm. which they are. But he's laying the, making the case that there is a national emergency. And the only way to solve this problem is through him declaring that. That is, and he, he's hoping that Congress would do their job. All throughout this whole, his whole tenure as president thus far, he's asked Congress to do their job. He's asking them to do their job on DACA. He's asking them to do their job on, 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 on health care. He's asking them to do their job on the budget. But they keep kicking the can down the road. They refuse to act. They refuse to make the tough decisions. So when he needs to step in, he'll do it. He doesn't want to. He'd rather make a deal. He'd rather negotiate. But if he has to, to defend the country, he, he, he has the right and he has reserved the right to do that. And I think he could do it tomorrow because we see that the Democrats will not negotiate, will not make a deal. So I'm, I'm going to tell you, I feel pretty uh, I, I get a little miffed when I see the treatment that he gets. But I understand he's the president. He's tough. He can take it. But one of the things that you just mentioned, the fact that he missed Christmas with the family, you know, their, their traditional Christmas down in Florida that really burns me up because I'm Christmas is my favorite holiday, hands down. I enjoy no other holiday as much as Christmas. And one thing that I just don't, I, I, I take no truck with folks that act like you shouldn't get to do your Christmas, your traditional Christmas, whatever your traditions are, that you shouldn't get to do those because it's a celebration of Jesus Christ's birth. And I believe that's something we need to be, you know, we need to be Snoopy dancing and celebrating the entire month of December. And it really upsets me that he was forced to do that. But if he's able to win this fight, which I, I truly believe he's in it for the long haul, then I guess it w- may somewhat be worth it. But I also think it was really telling that the media is telling this story about how he got up and left the meeting. He got up and left the meeting because she's not even willing to negotiate at all. I mean, is that what I'm hearing from you? Because I, I think people are confused. She's not negotiating at all. 
Stacey, your listeners should not be confused about what's going on. They should be confused at why it's happening, but they should not be confused by, by the facts. The facts are, let, let me tell you something. The vice president told, told us personally, he said, this was before the, the speech yesterday, he said that during the, the negotiation, negotiations meeting, the, the Democrat negotiators came in there and they, and they said, listen, we do not dispute your facts. Hmm. <laughs> they said, we do not dispute your facts. So that, that tells you they know that there's a crisis. They know about the, the human trafficking. They know about the drugs. They know about the illegals that are, that are coming over. They know the impact on the economy and on the lives that, are, that, that are, they have. They know the facts. And when, when, when Secretary Nielsen tried to speak about the, uh, a deal, Speaker Pelosi cut her off, wouldn't let her speak, and, and made, it reiterated the fact that there would be no deal. So what is happening is the Democrats are not negotiating. They're not offering any solutions. Nobody happens in a, in a, in a negotiation. If, if, if I'm trying to convince you, Stacey, to come to my house, I would say, okay, Stacey, can you come at 2 o'clock and bring a, pop, and, and bring a, a casserole? Mm-hmm. You say, well, no, Paris, I can come at 3. I say, well, can you come at 2.30? And, and you say, well, how about 2.45 and I'll bring some chicken? You go back and forth to meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. They're not doing that. The president says a concrete wall. They say no. He goes, fine. They say, a steel barrier. Will that help? Uh, we like a steel barrier. Okay, well, then we'll, we'll have a $5.7 billion. How about two point? They just keep saying no. Open the government. Then, said, then they tell the president, trust us. If you open the government, then we'll talk about security. Well, remember, mm, last they're not going to do that. They're not going to do it. Yeah, no. They told them they were going to deal with DACA, and they did. They said they were going to deal with immigration, and they, they won't do it. So they cannot be trusted, especially with Speaker Pelosi having the House. And so this isn't a negotiation. This is literally like talking to a concrete wall because they're coming to this from a place of no. And it's all because of politics because, Stacey, your listeners have to remember that they all, Schumer, Pelosi, even President Obama, have all supported border security oh, and yeah. even Many times. and walls. Many times. To the tune of billions of dollars they have voted and supported. Well, I, I want to in, interject a caveat uh, or, or just a note, a programming note. I'm in for the casserole or the chicken. Just <laughs> say the word. I'll be there. You don't have to negotiate with me. I'll bring one or the other or whatever else it is that you say because I'm a pretty good cook. Um, but I have to say that your example kind of <laughs> demonstrates how well, if you're both interested in doing the thing, you can find some middle ground. One person may walk away feeling a little scathed, like they got drug around a little bit. But if you both are interested, you can find something to agree on. And when you say they're not negotiating, that should be a red flag for any voter. When you have a situation as dire as the one at the border and you have a one side who's willing to negotiate, literally going from concrete barrier to steel slot, which I don't remember anybody from the White House calling me and asking me if I was okay with that. I'm not okay with the steel slot, to be honest with you. I'll take what I can get. But I prefer the concrete. I actually prefer the mixture right. that covers all of the areas. So I know it won't all be steel. I know it won't all be concrete. But I, I, I prefer the concrete because it's easier. It's it's more, much more difficult to take down than the steel barrier. Because if the Democrats take control of the, the presidency and they have all three parts of government and they decide they want to remove wall, it's so much easier for them to mow down steel slat than it is for them to remove concrete 10 inches thick, you know, 20 feet tall, five feet below ground. And they know that. That's why they're asking for that change. But all of that aside, I guess I I just want to give you the last word to sell to the American people because you said you you think it's possible that he might make an an emergency declaration. 
I believe the president would have consulted with counsel and, and he would know what his powers are that are constitutionally mandated to him and congressionally approved. And if he announced an emergency at the border and said he was going to use funds from our government to build a wall, that it would be something that he would know he could withstand scrutiny at the Supreme Court. Um, you know, you got the last word. Stacey, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, this is some, this, there's a crisis on the border, and one side is serious about it and takes it seriously. The other side doesn't take it seriously and does not even want to get to a point to help anybody, either Americans or the, or the victims that are coming that are, that are because of human trafficking, even on the other side of the border. If the president uses the national emergency declaration, remember, he has already vetted it, talked to counsel, talked to the State Department talked to all of the cabinet. Uh, several weeks ago, he told the cabinet members, go through your budget and see how, if you have money to help build this thing. If the president makes a declaration, it's because he knows that he has the authority and the constitutionality to do it. And he's mm -hmm. also doing it because of the Congress's inaction, namely the Democrats, namely uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. The president took an oath of office to, to, to protect the homeland, and he's going to do it. And every voter should really pause and say, in America in 2019, we should have people in Congress willing to negotiate and work with the White House to get things done for the people. If they can't take this seriously, and if they can't get this solved, then heaven forbid any other major crisis or issue comes up that they're unwilling to compromise or work on. And we should look and see what party was obstructing and which party was willing to work with them. Mm. And remember I, that in 2020. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. And I, I've been saying as much here. Uh, we, it, this is important for us. You know, we're on Christian radio here and we really believe that our actions will be held accountable for them. You know, and it, there's there there is a reckoning. And I don't want to have anyone who's listening to these airwaves misunderstand when we when people don't do their job, other people die. We've seen that. And when Congress sits inactive and allows this stuff to go on at the southern border, they'll be held accountable at some point. But I don't want to be in on that. I want to be the one who was advocating for lawful entry and for us to return to some sanity in our national sovereignty debate, which this is that's what this is all about. Uh, Paris Denard, political commentator and GOP strategist. Thank you for joining us today. I always enjoy our time together. Thanks, Stacey. Appreciate you. Bye bye. OK, bye bye. So at uh, Paris, uh, right there in the White House, I'm so glad because we we have an opportunity to intersect with him. And then he shares with us directly reporting from his time spent with the vice president, the president and other cabinet members and staffers. Fantastic to have him on the show today. When we get back. We'll take your calls. 866-963-2037. And we'll listen to Mitch McConnell talk about the wall. <laughs> Stay there. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. We live in tumultuous times. 24-hour-a-day news reports broadcast evil running amok, and it can make us fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of peace, love, and a sound mind. The sound mind part is our focus here. God calls us as his people to a life of prayer. Instead of giving in to fear, we are to take every thought captive and submit our request to God, our shelter and ever-present help in time of trouble. Each circumstance that we face is an opportunity to rely on God and offer our problems up for His solution. This isn't a platitude. It's a lifestyle that yields tangible results. 
We have peace in knowing that the ultimate power is operating on our behalf. When we pray, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God knows your needs. Let him answer your prayers. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. I'm Hank Weinblum, staring down your word of the week. Who's going to blink in this war? You know how a staring contest goes. If you blink, you lose. We're in a game of chicken, and uh, the question is who blinks first? It takes but a tenth of a second, but in that brief span of time, at least metaphorically, something momentous can happen. Things for us did change in the blink of an eye. Or you can find yourself out of the loop. If you blinked... Here's what you missed. What you haven't missed is either side blinking in the government shutdown showdown. People throughout the world are watching the president. If he blinks here, his credibility on securing the border is dead. He's not going to blink. Maybe both sides can get together, listen to some Blink-182 and reach a deal. But in the search for bipartisanship, be careful. If you blink, you might miss it. With your Word of the Week, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Democrat intransigence has made sure that a quarter of the federal government has been shut down for more than two weeks. Two weeks. Now they're threatening to shut the Senate down, too. Got the government shut down for two weeks. Now they want to shut the Senate down. They're threatening to shut down efforts to protect our allies and strengthen our relationship with Israel. Something they all recently claimed to support. So let's remember what we're talking about. In light of the urgent humanitarian and security crisis on our border, the president is requesting $5.7 billion for physical barriers and border security. For some context, that's just about one-tenth, one-tenth of one percent of federal spending. One-tenth of one percent for physical barriers like defenses and barriers which already exist, which Democrats have previously voted for with enthusiasm. Back in 2006, then Senators Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and our colleague, the current Democratic leader, all voted for more than a billion dollars to construct about 700 miles of physical barriers. So 
Is there any question about the reason why they're not doing this now? Welcome back to the program here on Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio. Thank you for joining the show today. Uh, almost done. We are willing to take calls. Of course, we love to speak to the listeners. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037 if you want to join the program. I, 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 there is no good reason for what we're seeing here. Let's be perfectly clear here. They do not have a valid reason for changing their minds about the validity or morality, if you will, of a border along our southern portion of the United States. There just isn't any. None. The reason they're doing this is because they want um, they want to be able to say they vanquished the president. They want to, quote unquote, win. Uh, so... You know, I mean, win, don't win, whatever. So I mentioned to you this, uh, I actually talked to you about this richer Americans. Yeah, richer Americans skipping SUVs for station wagons, which is an interesting story as well. But I want to get to an incredible solution to building the border wall. I mentioned that Senator Ted Cruz introduced the El Chapo Act. Now, this is the kind of stuff where your hair will literally stand on end when you when you listen to this. El Chapo is the nickname, means shorty, for the infamous Mexican mafia kingpin who was the former leader of the Sinaloa drug cartel. He was extradited to the United States to face criminal prosecution for numerous drug-related crimes, including conspiracy to commit murder and money laundering. El Chapo is also an acrostic for Senator Cruz's bill that stands for Ensuring Lawful Collection of Hidden Assets to Provide Order, El Chapo Act. Now, the bill would preserve any amounts forfeited to the U.S. government as a result of criminal prosecution of El Chapo, his real name is Joaquin Archivaldo Guzman Lorea, and other drug lords for border security assets and the completion of the wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, Sally Q. Yates, who served as U.S. Attorney General 2017 and U.S. Deputy Attorney General from 15 to 17 during El Chapo's capture, explained Guzman Loera is the alleged leader of a multi-billion dollar multinational criminal enterprise that funneled drugs onto our streets and violence and misery into our communities. Now, if you didn't know this, because I didn't until I read this, I knew Al Chapo was a big time drug dealer, but I did not know that he is almost entirely responsible for the majority of the drugs that come up through the U.S. southern border. He's the co-founder and head of the Sinaloa cartel. He's the number one supplier of marijuana, cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamines in the U.S. If you, a loved one, someone you know, someone you know's neighbor's child's, you know, third, whatever, any person that you know that has ever tried or been addicted to illegal drugs, those drugs originated from the Sinaloa cartel. Consider that in just four shipments of drugs, U.S. Attorney, Assistant U.S. Attorney Adam Fells, said that Al Chapo had sent more than a line of cocaine for every single person in our entire country. That's over 328 million lines of cocaine in four shipments. That's why we have to close the border. Consider the proliferation of his drug industry in communities across the U.S. compared to other cartels. And they have a map here, which I'll just put the link to this up on Facebook so you can see it. Uh, it's, it's amazing. This guy's reach, he covers the entire United States. When, when you talk about evil dwelling in one person and one person making a difference, when, when the Democrats say, well, it's only 10 terrorists, it's only 41 terrorists, you only need one person that is bent 
from the pits of hell on destroying lives. And that person, you know, anyone can be good at anything. And this guy's good at dealing drugs that are killing Americans. Time magazine said of Al Chapo that he left a trail of victims to rival any conventional war. In the U.S., there were more than 15,000 heroin-related deaths in 2016, a five-fold increase since 2010. In Mexico, the clash between rival cartels fighting one another and security forces over billion-dollar trafficking routes and other rackets is estimated to have killed more than 119,000 people down there over the course of a decade. If the war on drugs were classified as a military conflict, it would be one of the world's deadliest. This is why the U.S. government is presently pursuing the criminal forfeiture of more than $14 billion from El Chapo's narcotic sales and other illicit profits. Now, doesn't that number sound sweet to you, $14 billion? This 33-page indictment against El Chapo, filed in 2016 at the U.S. Eastern District of New York, does not dissect the $14 billion. It simply says that upon conviction, we will seek forfeiture of any property and contractual rights derived from the continuing criminal enterprise. And that they estimate this sum is approximately $14 billion in U.S. currency. Now, let's skip ahead. El Chapo was ranked in 2011 as the 10th richest man in Mexico and 1,140th in the world. He has a personal net worth of over a billion. But as head of the Sinaloa Cartel, which is an international criminal organization with billions of dollars in revenues that are laundered through over 288 companies and a shipping and transport empire, which they use to traffic drugs, El Chapo still has access to astronomical amounts of money from a plethora of illegal sources. $14 billion is really Trump. It's chump change for this guy. It's like, you know, it's like play around money for him. So what would $14 billion of his dirty money get us? Even CNN had to confess that a concrete slab that stretched the full length of the border and was 25 feet high, meaning 20 feet above ground, and five feet below, and still reinforced would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 billion and could be completed during a single term of a president. So Washington, D.C. would actually have $2 billion left over from El Chapo's money for border, border personnel, drones, electronic surveillance, and other security apparatus. Senator Cruz's El Chapo Act is a brilliant idea. And it satisfies the president's campaign promise that Mexico, specifically a Mexican, would pay for it. An evil hombre who has repeatedly raped America's communities and the souls of precious millions through narcotics and other criminalities for the past three decades. Remember when I talked about an article that I wrote for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch during my time with them? where we did a little research that the research was what I mean by doing research is I read some research on the hotspots in the city of St. Louis and how they're related to illegal immigrants and drug trafficking. And what they found was that St. Louis city's high murder rate is driven by illegal trafficking of drugs. If you take the illegal immigrants and the drugs out, then you have kind of a normal amount of local gangs doing some killing, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't have all of the like, stray bullets hitting people, children, grannies, you know, people walking down the street or driving down the road. You don't have that. Why? Because 
a regular amount of crime for any city is going to exist no matter what. But when you inject illegal trafficking of drugs and gangs from outside of this country, it ratchets up the amount of killing and carnage that you see. So passing this single bill could be the compromise they're all looking for. It's the best win-win-win-win solution, and Congress and the president could totally walk away unscathed from just passing this, this piece of legislation. Senator Cruz needs our help because it's the most overlooked solution and government missed opportunity in decades. And what we need to do is share the article, which I'm going to post again on the Facebook page. I need you to share it on Facebook and then copy and paste it from it's on WorldNet Daily. Click through to the link, copy and paste it into an email and send it to everyone you know. And then people call your legislators, call and let people know, hey, you're elected to do something. You say there's nothing you can do. You could pass this, pass this bill. Let Mexico pay for the wall. Let us take this money from El Chapo. Let us protect Americans. Forget about the Democrats and all of their, you know, chicanery. We can get this done. Uh, this is important, and I hope that people are paying attention and understanding why I'm why I'm bringing this through here. And I'm going to mention it again uh, during the week on the show. I'm going to mention it again because I want to make sure and catch people who may or may not have been available to hear it today. Uh, so, and there's this other story, okay? So did email providers suppress Republicans in the 2018 election? Now, this one, I actually hadn't considered that email providers could suppress content, but apparently um, poor email deliverability can not only suppress a candidate's message, but it can decrease the engagement of campaign supporters, fewer donations, fewer volunteers, fewer advocates, and Republicans are underperforming in email deliverability, and this gives them a distinct disadvantage on election day. So this team of researchers actually decided to test the rumors and created email addresses with different email providers, signed up for the email lists of around 50 different candidates, committees, and nonprofits. In the month leading up to the election last year, they tracked how many emails were sent from each entity and what percentage of those emails made it into their inboxes. To keep it consistent, they opened every email every day, regardless of where it was placed. They actually used Yahoo, AOL, and Gmail, the three primary email providers. They say the results were striking. Republican emails were sent to spam far more often than Democrats. To put the numbers in perspective, two closely contested Senate races, one in Nevada for Democrat Jackie Rosen, averaged over 90% placement in inboxes compared to Dean Heller's placement 90% of the time in spam. Dean Heller, the Republican, had 90% of his campaign emails go to spam. These are emails to people who've opted in, by the way. These are not unsolicited emails. Jackie Rosen had 90% of his emails put directly into the email boxes of the people that he sent it to. The only thing between them that's different, one of them's a Democrat, one's a Republican. In Florida, 100% of Republican Rick Scott's emails went to spam in Yahoo!, and 100% of Bill Nelson's emails went to the Yahoo inbox. Now, I'm full disclosure, I just deleted my Yahoo account because, first of all, it's an address that I don't use very much anymore. But also, why would I have email with Yahoo? They hate conservatives. Now, I'm thinking maybe I need to go to Proton email and get rid of my Gmail. 
but I've got all the, the Gmail, um, like the Google Docs and all that stuff. And our kids use the Google Docs. So they'll like make a document about something that we want to do. The kid will make it and invite us and then we can all change it and adjust it together. I don't know that Proton Email has that functionality, but we've got to start thinking about some alternatives here because this is ridiculous. So what plays into email deliverability? Well, perhaps the conservatives were spamming their subscribers. Across the five toss-up Senate races they tracked, Democrats sent over four times the quantity of emails than their Republican opponents. Over four times as many emails sent, and none of them were considered spam. So we got to figure something else out to do about this because it, it's one thing when it's the social media accounts and, you know, it, you can say what you want, but you don't have to have a Twitter to live. You don't have to have Facebook to live. It's nice, but you don't have to have it. You can have your own blog and you can get by. But if you have your own blog or political website or consultancy or whatever, and you work hard to get the subscribers and then the email provider basically cuts you out and says, you ain't talking to these people. They have to go to their spam filter. What does that say? That basically means there's no place for us to go. We can only exist in face-to-face conversations and using landlines because everything else is hacked into by the Democrats and their overlords, and they're trying to suppress us in every way that they can, which indicates to me that they don't have a strong message. They don't have ideas or legislative policies and proposals that they can run on, that they can win on. They just have to cheat at everything, not just stealing votes in elections, letting illegals vote instead of citizens. But now they are actually suppressing us through stopping our emails from going through when people are running for campaigns. Why are we surprised? There is no honor if you're serving the enemy. And I'm not talking about the enemy being Democrats. Yeah, you can only serve one of two masters. There are only two. So if you're not serving God, you're serving who then? All right, that's the show for today. God bless you from the heartland. Have a fantastic evening and see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.